evening and those in India, good evening, everyone. And uh, we have now Otis online and we are ready to start our second session of the writers workshop with Otis. And for those of you who were there last week, you, you would have seen the structure and the flow that it uh, uh, followed. And we are going to try and keep the same flow even this time. Uh, all of those, you know, I'm going to make all of you as panelists, so you will be able to share your video and uh, unmute yourself and ask questions. And after that, I'll turn it over to Otis to uh, to kick it off. So with that, uh, it's all yours, Otis. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, oh, there we go. Um, hi, everybody. Um, if you uh, like, you can turn on your videos. I don't think it's necessary to keep them off. It's great for me if I can see people. Um, and I'm last week, if you were here last week, uh, <laughs> I can have a tendency to, to talk maybe sometimes too much. So I, I want you to feel like, okay, hey, Otis, you know, break in if you want, if I'm on a roll or something and say, hey, I, you know, I have a question about something. I really love fielding questions. Um, and, uh, and anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about some of your work. Uh, I had uh, this week, so and you can let other people know too, uh, if you send me your work, then I will, I'll read it before this class and then, and then we can talk about it during this class. And I think that that's probably the best routine for us to have. And uh, anyone, anyone can send anything to me and, and I really uh, enjoy doing the reading. Uh, I enjoyed this week's work a lot. Um, I, I've worked with Kieran before and Indic and, and, uh, and, and for me, you know, I come from an American culture, I, I'll say off, off the top here that uh, the, the material is, is often unfamiliar to me and it's really fascinating. So, uh, you know, I really, I really enjoy like dropping into these other worlds that, that I'm not familiar with. And I think that that's a, a prime motivator for readers anyway, that they want to go into another world. So we'll talk more about that. Um, let me see what I have. So I, my, uh, this piece, um, or maybe, maybe we should, since there, maybe we can spend a little time just going around a little bit and you can introduce yourselves a little bit. Um, I don't see everyone's name up front. Um, you think that might be possible for us to go around and you can introduce yourselves so you can know each other a little bit and I can know you a little bit and then Maybe I can also put together you specifically with your work so that we can talk about it. I, I don't have names for people. Um, on my... Otis, if you have a, a link that says uh, attendees, you should be able to see a list of all the, uh, you know, 15 panelists and attendees, basically the 12 uh, people who are, who have joined in. Oh, okay. You have 12 people. I did not see that. Let me get rid of some things here so that I can 
So participants. Okay. Um, so the Indic Book Club is host. Oh, nice. Well, maybe um, I my pronunciation is not going to be great. I because I, I will work on it, <laughs> and you can help me. Um, but maybe maybe we can go through a little bit. Uh, Ajay, Ajay, are you here? Yes, I see Ajay Sudami. So if you can uh, switch on your webcam and, and uh, introduce yourself, Ajay. If you can hear us. Hmm. Maybe this will be too too difficult to go through. Everyone, I, I would. Or do you want to pick, uh, you know, uh, you know, pick one submission and start with that, and and hopefully people will. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. So. Um, okay. Well, this is uh, this is I know twenty one bamboo stalks. Uh, What's uh and, and I'm not sure what the name is associated with uh, that. Maybe this is a playwright who is here. Maybe we can talk Hi. about this work a little bit. That's me. Oh, okay. What's your and what's your name? I know that it's on your email, but I. Yeah, I'm Rashma actually. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, can you tell us a you you want to talk a little bit about this work? Uh, yeah, oh, okay. I wanted to say I appreciate your email and everything, and and telling me more about it. That was really great, and uh, and and thanks for taking. Obviously, you you're an experienced and professional writer. You know, you you <laughs> you knew some of the things that I was talking about right off the bat. So I, I really appreciated getting that uh, that email from you. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're kind. Of, I'm I'm kind of working on this work. It's always it's been published in a literary journal in America. But then it's a work in development as far as I'm concerned, and uh, I want to—I'll uh, be giving it out to the agents uh, for international market. So therefore, it was important for me to uh, share it with someone who's not familiar with this culture, uh, because the things that are in my head and will not translate to someone who's uh, unfamiliar with. And it, it's a—it's just about seeing, looking at the society, you know, 25 years down, uh, and uh, what happened back then. You know, when the Indian economy was opening up and the call centers coming in and uh, there's this whole boom and technology taking over. And then there's something called traditional arranged marriage, uh, how it took a turn and became more of a marketplace rather than, you know, the way it was supposed to be. So uh, that's what the play is all about. And uh, internationally, those themes sell, arranged marriage sells, and there's also a bit of Bollywood in the f drama. So yeah, so getting all those components, looking at the commercial market and international market. So your feedback has been uh, helpful. I, I've been working on it, you know, as, uh, as soon as I get your notes, I print it out and then uh, incorporate it in the next draft. So mm -hmm. thank you so much. It's been helpful. Yeah. Um, I, uh... I think it was in the email you were talking about it being placed in the 1990s. And it's funny that 
Um, I opened it up before I read your email. So I opened it up briefly and it said, you know, 1996 summer, you know, living from the location. And I immediately, it, I immediately thought, why is that time important? You know, what, what, what is it about that time, that particular time that this story has to be told in? And mm-hmm. then when I read your email a little bit later, I, I understood it a little, much better because these things, none of these choices should be arbitrary. The context and the world and the environment is going to be, um, I sometimes quote Joseph Conrad for this. He said that the story is not uh, a kernel like a nut, but instead like a glow that brings out the haze of the world. So what that means to me, it's kind of imagistic, I guess, but that the, the conflict and the issue of the characters here basically um, allow us to see a truth about the larger world around them. Right. And in this case, and I think that your, your story is doing that. You know, I see that it has that intention because you told me about this issue of really the, I, I think the telemarketing. So again, there's, there's things that I don't understand very well, obviously about the Indian economy and about your booms and busts and, and all of that stuff. But, but I certainly got that from, from your email that, that that's the environment in which this particular story and these particular kinds of pressures take place. Um, so I thought that that was, I thought that was really great. And then what you have in terms of a story is you really have a story about human beings, characters who have relationships. And what we end up seeing is we see how characters and human beings um, and their relationships are impacted by the environment that's around them. That's what you're developing here. And, 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 and to me, so I, I have some, some feelings about stories, but to me, that's like, that's a perfect story. That's, that's what we're after. Um, And, uh, and so this will be, do you know, um, do you know Chekhov very well, the playwright um, and uh, Cherry Orchard? You know, it's obviously common, you know. So I I was a little bit reminded, I mean, Chekhov does that, right? I mean, he, Chekhov, for short story writers, for better or worse, Chekhov is like the guru, at least for 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 short story writers. I mean, he everyone in the United States is writing short story studies Chekhov. So, and so if if any of you want to read something, you know, that's the the, the common, um, you know, the the common text for for American writers, uh, Chekhov is a great person to pick up. But in Cherry Orchard, yeah, something similar is happening. Right, that's happening in your play. Um, yours is different, but in Cherry Orchard, you remember that like we have the chopping of the cherry trees, right? You know that that world that existed with the you know the grand uh, estate is disintegrating, and you know that that was the that was the the time period in which that took place. Yours reminded me of that and but you know it's funny it's only now that we're talking that I thought of cherry orchard but last night I was thinking I mean I, I really was compelled by the the telemarketing thing I, I really sort of want someone off stage doing like that you know talking on the phone like hearing them you know mm-hmm. like the phone ringing and 
and now I see that I'm really taking that, I'm just stealing that wholesale from Chekhov, right? But um, for, uh, for all of us as writers, um, we, we, we work by this saying that we say that novices borrow and masters steal. So that's, a, that's, our, that's our mantra. I mean, basically recognizing, you know, uh, stories have been in existence for 8,000, maybe more years, right? I mean, written stories have been around for 5,000. Obviously, there have been a lot of very talented people who have worked with stories. So stories have some common elements to them, and we want to recognize what those elements are, and we want to use them also, like other writers have. So that was one thing that I thought in this, in this work. Um, there were a couple, um, I mean, the issue right um you brought this up yourself in your email the issue with a play and the issue with all of our works how do you teach the reader how to read it how do you teach the audience what they're watching and understanding how do you work that into it and so it isn't actually that important that it be 1996 because that's not the issue the issue is the economic pressure, the econ the money, um, the the work, um, the the fact that I mean I, I don't want to go too much into economics, which I probably don't know very much about. But you know the, the the desire, obviously, of corporations always yes, it's a boon, but also it's an exploitation. Right. So there's always both aspects going on there. I mean, there's a boon in India because in, in India, people speak English and they can be used in telemarketing, but the companies in the US, for example, I don't know about other companies in Europe, probably doing something similar. They wanna move their telemarketing to India because they're capable because of technology and because the workforce is gonna be less expensive than the American workforce. So like, there's always an exploitive um, aspect too. So how do you how do you get the how do you get the audience to understand that that's the context? And so, as you correctly point out, we have to get it on the stage somehow. Right. Right. And the, this is again true for all of us. No matter what we're working with, we need to get these elements of importance onto the stage. The context, whether we're working in a story, which you know, a drama is a story, or whether we're working in nonfiction, which a lot of people are also working in. The context is probably the largest element of the story. What is the frame that you're creating the story within? What is the frame of the story? Um, and let's uh, talk a little bit more. Um, there were just a couple little things in this story for, for the rest of you who are here. I'm sorry that you haven't also been able to read it. Uh, you talked a little bit, I think you say Sim Simran is the, is the protagonist of the story. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this is another, conceptually, if you were here last time. So that uh, we can just have an idea. Yeah. With your remarks like last time. Oh, to talk a little bit about protagonist and antagonist and, 
Well, yeah, I was I was about to say that um, if you if you were if you were here last time, you you heard me talk a lot about the protagonistic and antagonistic forces. So, in my way of thinking, the protagonist is not a hero, and the antagonist is not evil. You know, they're just forces in the drama that come together to create the energy of the story. Yeah. Um, knowing knowing precisely who your protagonist is and centering your story around their experience is, I, I think, very important. It's also equally important for us as writers to really understand the antagonistic force because we as writers, um, we're writing a story, okay? We're writing a story about the conflict of protagonist and antagonist. We aren't the protagonist. We are not the antagonist. So we are up here writing the story about the protagonist and the antagonist. And as a person up here, we though we might center the story through the protagonist, we have to know the entire world right. because we're actually writing not simply about them, like this is an instance of that, but we are actually writing about them in order to show a truth about the larger world. So in this, in this piece specifically, um, and uh, I know I don't pronounce it correctly, so uh, uh, Simran, Simran maybe? Simran, uh, Simran is, you, you, you said that she's the protagonist, um, but the question will be, how will the audience know that? She's, mm. you know, and you mentioned yourself, she's not on the stage first. These are things, um, she's not on the stage first, Going into the second scene, she leaves and the father comes on. And then, um, so, so the only person who continues to be on the scene the whole time is um, Chutki. Give me, Chutki remains on the scene. So the reader, one thing for us to all realize from the reader is the reader is, or the audience, we are using this human brain of ours constantly to um to learn we're basically like <laughs> we're, we're like desperate we're like desperate people out on the step you know trying to learn information uh, as quickly as possible in order to survive this story that's going to be unfolding so we take everything in and we attribute meanings to things we sometimes attribute those meanings incorrectly but we are also basically the writer wants to lead that understanding so that's going to be a little bit difficult. I'll just say that that's, that's a wobble here. Yeah. The other wobble, and this is uh, for those of you, I think it, for me, all these things apply whether we're writing in nonfiction or fiction, in this case of play. Um, the story, as I was saying last week, the story Okay, remember the protagonist and antagonist. The story is not about the antagonist being bad. A story is about the journey of the protagonist. That's what a story is about. Whether we're working in nonfiction or whether we're working in fiction, it's about their, what we call a character arc. So, and the reason it's about that is because what we do in stories is we have the reader, the audience, they attach and sympathize 
with the protagonist and they get to undergo this journey that's difficult and perilous, but they get to do it in safety. That's why the reader comes to our work. And it doesn't matter whether the protagonist is a protagonist like an author in a nonfiction book or a character in a play. A play is slightly more difficult to identify the protagonist because, and a movie, because the relationship of the audience with the protagonist is objectified, right? They're, the audience is here looking at the play. So we have to do something in terms of what they see in order for in order for them to understand who's the central figure in movies right we know movies they frame someone now while they might show other people you'll probably find that the protagonist gets more screen time than anyone else it's just a like a physical fact they become central to the story for good or bad um so that that's a little bit what we're we might be dealing with you know yeah. contending with this right going forward uh, we'll see more of simran uh, and we ended on her story so and chutki is the second lead so it's it's not as if she's not important uh, she's equally important and at times you know we just create start creating characters and they become so more more likable it's like mercutio <laughs> in romeo you know you mercutio dies but he's the one your heart is uh, goes out to so it's, it's something like that okay i love what you just said there i love what you just said there i hope everyone takes that in that is i think that's truly the aspiration for our work right is that when we start to love our characters okay so like I, I said that um, one of my little maxims is that we don't have to like our characters, but we do have to love them. And, and so that means, you know, all their faults, all their everything. And it's a great place for a writer when, when the characters, they, you know, people say this, but when you really get into it, the characters take over and they should yeah. because our characters should become true human beings. They're finally human beings that we're putting on the page. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to invent. And we want to get them on the page in all their glory. We don't want to get straw, you know, a straw man. We don't want to get um, what we tend to talk about is cardboard cutouts, you know, just flat characters who are serving our purposes up here. We are the writer. We're not trying to create a bunch of flat characters that just go through the motions and come out with the outcomes we're trying to create. We're trying to create human beings who are trying to have meaningful relationships with other human beings. Um, yeah, so that's great. Oh, but but the reason I was actually bringing up this whole journey thing was to talk about the father. Right. I just wanted to bring him up because so the story is about the protagonist. The protagonist, while we often get this idea that the antagonist is a evil character, what what I also think we let's put into our mind this other idea that the antagonist, no matter how terrible that antagonist is, is also a teacher. The antagonistic force is in a way the whole world that's out here and can be anything that confronts the protagonist. And by doing that, they teach the protagonist about the world, about the truth of the world. And someone someone wrote a story, a piece this week, uh, we'll, we'll get to where um, the character is 
is told that the, you know, the objective is to be egoless. That's actually the objective of story. The story, I, to my mind, okay, I don't want to get philosophical about it, but a story moves to this point where the protagonist really joins and merges with the world around them and accepts it. And they have a moment of, in a sense, egolessness. So anyway, I'm just bringing up that the, the, the protagonist is the one that we're looking at. They're not good. They're not, you know, great character, a saintly character that exists like this up here. No, they're a troubled, difficult character. And they have a journey that's going to be a journey of learning about the world. I bring all that up because the father is the one who has seems to have the greatest distance that he needs to travel. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. And so when he when he gets on the page in the second scene, I feel like it's his story because I can see the distance that he has. Um, and he reminds me a little bit, not going back to more very famous plays, he reminds me a little bit of Willie Lomax in uh, uh, Death of a Salesman. Oh. He's like, you know, he has these, he has these uh, conventional ideas and he can't get up to speed with the changing world. And so, and because of that, I feel like, but I'm not, obviously you, you're, you're going, I, I like what you're talking about. I like that, that uh, uh, Simran will, maybe she will emerge. Yeah. All of these things can work. In, in all of our, it, all of the things that we work, all of the things we write, there's only one rule. I don't make up any rules. I have no rules. What works, works. Right. Hmm. But I think we do well to be aware of, the, and this is really key to everything that, that I think about, we do well to be aware of our audience. And we can be aware of our audience by realizing that our audience is a human being just like us. And we kind of all behave the same way. So the more that we can understand even ourselves as an audience, ourselves as a human being, then we can understand our audience as a, as a human being also. So, so it, to me, it comes down to simple things. You know, will they be confused in the beginning? Yes, we, uh, let, me, let me bracket something here as one of the things I think is most important for us in our work. Okay, so um, our audience, no matter what we're working on, um, they are they are buying in to do a couple of things. We know about them that they want to leave their world behind, right? And they want to be in our world. So the audience member that comes to see your play wants to leave the streets of whatever city they're in, and they want to go into your universe, right? When they open up our book, they want to go in there. Um, the reader wants to have an emotional experience. They're coming to learn something, to learn about life. They're coming actually, I, I sometimes say that uh, all, all writing is a self-help book because our audience comes because they want something. They either want relief from their world, they want answers, they want something. They open up our book because they're motivated to do so. They want to be able to have a difficult experience, but in safety. It's ideal, right? They don't get, they don't have to learn by hard knocks. They get to learn in the, 
the quiet of their home reading, and that's ideal. They don't care how dangerous this might be. That's fine because they still feel safe. I mean, we can go too far, but but well, it's it's hard to do. But there are two things, two emotions we do not want to have our reader have. So that we want them to have any emotion, but we do not want them to have confusion on this side or boredom. Those are the two poles that we do not want them to go to. So we, this work, all our works are, are going to be emblematic for this. We want to go, go in from boredom. That means we make everything interesting and new. We don't deal in cliches. We don't deal in stereotypes. Because as soon as we deal in cliche or stereotype, as soon as we tell uh, you know, a stitch in time saves nine, as soon as we do that, we bore the reader and their mind, this is what we're dealing with, their mind, their imagination goes. We do that at our peril. The other thing we don't do is we don't move towards confusion. Where am I? What's going on? It doesn't, you don't have to explain things. I'm, I really want to be clear about this. A lot of writers feel like they have to give exposition or you'll know this in plays, you know, and movies. Sometimes our characters give exposition and dialogue. Yeah. They're like, that's a bomb. <laughs> you know, it, it's a bomb. Well, how does it work? Well, it works with, a, you know, they start telling you stuff. It does happen from time to time, but we want to not do that. We don't have to explain things, but what we do want to do is we want to have our reader be centered on the experience. They don't have to know what did happen, and they don't know, have to know what's going to happen. In fact, I'm going to suggest that they do not know those things, but they definitely know what is happening. It's a little bit meditative. You know, we want to sort of zen-like bring them into uh, a centered experience where they're where they're, they're both um, completely fixed on the moment, but also surprised with newness. So like, so that's something for us all, I, I hope we'll take away, put a little bracket around it. You can put, you can put the two poles here, boredom, you can put a, the other pole confusion, and you know that you wanna go in a sweet spot here in the middle where things are, what I, what I say is like clear, but necessarily complex. Um, this is another fundamental idea for our writing. And I think I probably said this last week, we can go a long way by creating for our reader anticipation and surprise again and again and again. And your work actually is great for that. So there's sometimes in this work where they're having dialogue, it counts on every level and at every single moment a line of dialogue that does not seem fresh, that does not seem like it's pushing the story, like advancing the characterization or the, the plot, which is actually both, those things are tied. If it's not pushing that forward, then it's also, you'll forgive my term, it's failing, right? We do not, you know, it's like a boat traveling, it's, you know, you know, like when you turn off a motorboat and you're on a motorboat, you're driving, da, 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 and then you turn off the engine right away and you go like that. That's what happens when we have a line of dialogue that isn't fresh and advancing the plot. 
We don't want that. We want to be on that boat going forward. Um, yeah, okay. So, and but a lot of times you also do have that. And the line between those two can be very difficult. This is our taskmaster, right? Our taskmaster is that person. Is this line fresh? Is it advancing the story? Every single word, every single piece of dialogue. Um, have we, the reader has anticipated the father saying something and then he said something that I never expected. Um, and uh, so clearly you can hear that I'm, uh, I can obviously spend a lot of time with this work. So, um, but I better, I better move on to something else, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, another little place to think about is when characters, for all of us, this piece is a good example. When characters first come onto the page, the first thing that they do should characterize them in the way that is their biggest challenge. Um, uh, Valdev, Valdev um, is the father. Yes. And he, when he comes in, his, I'm just going to give you as an example, and you're a professional, so I know, <laughs> you know, he says, are you talking to the television set? So that's actually continuing to characterize Chukti. Uh, Chukti. Right. Um, as, that, right. That's continuing to characterize her. He's got to come out and characterize him, right. right? It's his moment. He just opened up the curtain and said, here I am. But then he opened up the curtain and then stepped out of the way. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, I really enjoyed this work. The father is a great character. Right. Um, your, your challenge will be, you know, he's like the anti-hero, <laughs> this crotchety guy who breaks things. I love the daughters. The one daughter takes the vase. He's broken something already because he's so upset and he's so driven to get his uh, daughters married. And then the, the younger daughter, he's about, he's going for this vase that everyone has noticed already, which is great. There, there you go. There's a little check off there. We want to put this on our list. If there's a, if there's a uh, gun in the first act, it has to go off in the last act, right? We, we all know that from our playwriting, from our drama. And uh, that vase, you mentioned how prominent it is. Right. And it's, it's probably not going to last the whole play. We'll find out. <laughs> but, but anyway, the father goes for the vase and the younger daughter moves it. Right. Great stuff. Great stuff. The, we, we as writers, you know, it's, it's really the, the difficulty when we're writing nonfiction is to keep these dramatic principles alive in our nonfiction. We really have to, but having your work here is really good for all of us because, <laughs> forgive this phrase, but the mother of all drama is drama, right? I mean, plays were the first things. They were the things, people did not have writing. They had people out there acting and they had people you know, telling them what to do and the characters that they were meant to represent. That was the beginning. And so what she's doing so well, what she has to do it is she dramatizes emotion. When we write, guess what we have to do? We have to dramatize emotion. We don't get to say what the emotion is. We don't tell the reader what they're supposed to be feeling. We make them feel it. 
by what they participate in dramatically. Um, if some of you are new, I totally understand if all of this doesn't make crystal clear sense. It took me like 20 years for any of this to make any sense to me. It takes time. It's great to just keep hearing it. Um, you, you emailed me and you said you were very familiar. <laughs> you, know, you were like, I've heard this thing about conflict all my life. And uh, it's one of those things that writers have to hear about over and over again, because our instinct, this is so important for all of us as writers to understand this. Our instinct actually as human beings is to avoid conflict. Okay, I'm talking about the deep psychology of human beings. We avoid, we flee conflict. If people start arguing, we kind of move away and we try and, or we try and figure out what's the solution so that we can end it, right? Oh, you want the vase and you want the vase. How about we split the vase between the two of you, right? Human beings don't like conflict. But what are writers doing? Writers are writing sustained conflict. It's not easy. I am telling you, it is not easy. We want, I know many writers who are, they, they might even set up the conflict or they never set up the conflict. They never identify the conflict. And then, or if they do, then they resolve it, but they're only two pages in. We have a tendency to want to resolve conflict. That's life. That's all of you who have ever come up with an answer to a problem. You're trying to resolve a conflict. It's an instinct. So we have to be reminded and we can remind each other as a group that that's not the job of the, of the writer. The writer's job is to write sustained conflict for the protagonist through which they have an experience and they end up changed at the end, changed. One of the ways that we determine that a story works, the one, oh, well, whatever I do, one of the ways we determine that a story works is that the character begins as an A, they go through the story and they are at the end B. They are different, they are changed. If your character, I'm gonna, you can apply it to your own work. It's just, I don't like it any better than you do. I also hate all these things I say and they, they drive me crazy. But if your character is, they're right and good in the beginning, and they go through their story and they're right and good at the end, we have not written a story. Right. A story is about a conflict between a protagonist and antagonistic forces that have meaning because they change the protagonist. They change, they're new, they're merged, they're enlightened, they, but they're only enlightened in the moment, we know. Life goes on. <laughs> they, don't, they don't achieve final enlightenment. Okay, I better go to something else, but I uh, really enjoyed this work. I, I love this world. I love this world. So I really look forward to uh, seeing this on the stage. I hope so too. Thank you. Um, um, let's. Uh, who? Uh, oh wait, I was going to go to. 
Who wrote the exorcism? Ashwani? Ashwani Sachdev. Okay. Um, That's me. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this piece? Sorry? you want to tell us a little bit about this piece? Well, it was written as an exercise in, uh, in a writing workshop, which I did, uh, where, you know, there was a story with somebody told about an embarrassing situation in his life. And I was supposed to write. So I completely fictionalized the whole thing. And uh, just to give it uh, some kind of a logical end at the end, instead of just ending it at where the embarrassment took place, I uh, converted, uh, gave it an ending at the end to make it a little interesting. But it was a pressure exercise done under uh, time pressure. So I accept the uh, criticism which you had that the end needs a change. It needs to be elaborated upon. <laughs> well, I'm glad you accepted it. Ashwani, I have to tell you, I, okay, I'm a very emotional person. I, it's take, you know, the, uh, who is it? Calder, the artist who said, it took me a lifetime to um, be able to paint like a child. I feel like it's taken me a lifetime to be able to have the, the emotions of a child. I, I'm like, I, I have almost tears in my eyes. You are like my favorite writer right now. I, I just love this piece. This piece is so charming. You, you, should, you need to hold your own workshop on how to write in a charming manner. I was just completely immersed in this immediately. Um, the, there, this is a whole nother order of business. Okay, so <laughs> what's going on in this story? But it's, it's, a very, it's a very deep principle to our writing that we, uh, I don't even know how to really tell you about it. When the reader comes to open our book, we have to welcome them in. I really want us to just pause on that. I'll go back to um, ego e and egolessness, kind of. We don't want to push on the reader. We want to bring them in. <laughs> and, and that has to do with the, it's not the character. The character can be acerbic and difficult. They can be a lot of things. They're going to they're going to have a whole trial, you know, but the writer and their language, um, the writer's consciousness has to be open to letting the reader come in. And you'll be surprised and uh, that, <clears throat> that, that we find this very difficult. Uh, I know that I did when I was a young writer and I still can find it difficult where I felt like I needed to do something to the reader. I don't get to do something to the reader. There's no reader that wants to read my work when I feel like the author wants to do something to me. I don't read it. That's being preached to, that's a lot of other things. I have no interest. I want, um, Ashvani, it's like, um, it's like weather systems, I think. So when the high pressure system goes up, what happens? The low pressure goes in. That's how we open the door to our work. Um, 
<laughs> How get, my memories of school days in summertime, Madras, are a disorderly admixture of unbearable heat, glistening humidity, and motionless air. I just have to say, I wish I had written that sentence. I want that sentence. That sentence just allows me to participate in this world. Um, and I, I don't know if you will end up working on something with people who are involved in this where you can share your work, but I hope that other people will read this work. The, the voice is just tremendous. It's wonderful, it's open, it's funny. Um, Ivani, the problem is <clears throat> when you can write like this, you have to write much more, you know. Um, and and you and this is this is tremendously charming. But it, yes, it has to finally go someplace of meaning. It can't just be charm, you know, on the surface without the substance that really comes underneath from really finally probing the character. That's that's where we need to go in our stories. We actually finally really need to test our characters. And so I do, right, you made, you made this up, but now you can't treat it that way. If this is something that really, really has, and, and you must know it on some degree, if this is something that really has stuck with this character, maybe all their lives and changed their lives, what would that be like? You know, what would their lives have been like? I don't know where you, you might end up taking this, um, but you could, if it's a project, you know, you might have to decide. You obviously have some writing skills and you can direct your attention. What you probably need to do now is figure out what story do you really want to tell and then bring your skills to that story. Because for all of us as writers, this is a big, big thing for us. There, when you're a writer, the whole world is exciting, I think. I, I just, there's nothing that doesn't intrigue me about the world. The world is the thing I want to write about and all the people in it. So then, because there's so much to write about, what I have to finally do is I have to finally figure out what is the thing that I want to do. Since the real problem is time, Time is the problem. There's not enough time. So what am I gonna make my priority? Where, what am I gonna bring my gifts to? My imaginative gifts, my intellectual gifts, my, 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 the biggest gift that we have, our ability to empathize and, and understand ourselves and others. Where am I gonna bring those gifts? So Ashvani, I, I think that that's maybe where you are. You have some great gifts here. And then now, what is the project that you really wanna devote your attention to and really dig in as an experiment to do your best? It might be this character, but it might not be this character. You can, you can do the, we, we can apply ourselves wherever we want. How, what, what, what do you think? What do you think about that? Thank you, Otis, for your kind words. I'm already sort of working on a uh, on a book, on a novel, size about 60,000 words. Oh, that's okay. what I'm looking at. Great. Um, there, there's a there's a rule that, that I try to apply where we, we say we don't talk it out. 
so we don't talk about our work because we keep it bottled inside so we keep typing so i don't want to i don't want to push you too much but the, are do you do you feel like you might share it, a little bit of that work or you know it, like here or uh, maybe uh, let's would, would you talk a little bit about that work what is it about um it's it's about a, a defense officer and he is a second generation defense officer and he gets into a conflict because his he is a very service minded uh, officer but his father gets into trouble because he perceives that the government is not giving him his dues of pension and so that is where the conflict starts that he is trying to you know be a good service officer loyal to the service loyal to the nation while his father's uh, motivation and uh, you know constant uh, cribbing about the fact that he is not getting his pension now there is a conflict and then this chap also slowly starts coming around to his father's point of view and uh, you know at one stage he is uh, sort of you know identified and targeted by a foreign uh, country's spy who turns him into working for that country a neighboring country of india and then in the end you know when so that is the sort of climax part you can say and by the time the end of the book comes he is his father is in fact convinced him to come back to normal and he says that you know all the protests i was making about pension had nothing to do with you turning disloyal to the service and to the nation and so he brings his son back to nirmay and that is where the denouement is oh, okay okay are you can i just ask you are you using do you have a voice that's similar to this voice is kind of a very i mean th this voice in this piece is so incisive and so aware of the environment and, and i mean i love this moment in this in this little piece there's a moment where this classroom has two fans. Okay, so this is this is where you know you're doing great with writing. Though, and this is where my mind is the reader. I can see this place and understand it perfectly in more ways than just seeing it. It's as if I'm there. And uh, and Ashvani describes uh, this room with two. You know that it's so hot, <laughs> so hot. <laughs> and there's two fans, but one fan's in the very front. And one fan is in the very back. And it's such that you only really get the benefit of the fan at all if you're right underneath it. Can I ask uh, you one yeah. question, Otis? Can I ask yeah. you one question? Yeah. Uh, do you intend that the uh, all the panelists should be seeing this article on the screen? Because we can't see it. You can't see it. I yeah. Do yeah, yeah. We I, would really appreciate that so that we have more context to what you're discussing. Okay. You, you have to talk to me, my friends. I okay. Last time we had this, right? I said this is an issue of point of view. I can. I'm looking at it. You have to. You, I tried to share. I said I'm going to oh. share the screen. I said I'm share the screen, and you got to be like Otis. I, we understand that you can see it from your point of view, but from our point of view, we can't. This is very good. De it demonstrates a lot. Yes, I did. I tried. I had. I pressed share. It said I was sharing. Let's try again. I think you need to first open that document and then start the screen sharing. Oh, okay. 
okay. So we're where we've now reversed positions here, where I'm I'm giving advice, but now I'm getting advice. Okay, okay, I get it. That's a joke. Ashwani, that's a joke. I'm being funny. Can you see the screen? Yes, we can see it. Would you um, like me to read it? Um, I don't I I think we I would love that on a, I would love that on a different day. I, I Okay. Okay. I don't think we're, because I want to try and get to the other pieces before we before we stop. So okay. I, I don't think I would be able to today. Um, but but I do but I do want to follow up with that question. Oh yeah, so I was I was talking about you know um, the imagery here that you know the Ashvani is makes this scene so that we we can feel you know we understand that these two places and then he goes through and dramatizes how important it is. The, the, the kid comes in, he's neither fast enough to get to the front, he's neither smart enough to get to the front, or I uh, love your word choice too, your word choices are just wonderful, he, or agile enough to get to the back, you know. Um, so he ends up always in the middle. And then when, then, then, Ashvani, this is really, it's brilliant. Not only that, but then he makes the most of it. Because he's stuck in the middle, there's this sort of, I can't describe it as well as you can. The the, the cacophonous, asynchronistic uh, warbling of the sound waves of the two fans are kind of washing over him like this. And, uh, you know, anyway, my point is, are you writing your novel with a, with a voice and with a kind of incisiveness like that? I hope so. Oh, well, then I really look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, sorry about uh, that share. Do 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 tell me. Um, okay, let's. Uh, <clears throat> who uh, who wrote uh, on the bank of the river Sean? Sean. Someone. I I don't. I, I don't see. I did. My oh, okay. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, hey, do you want to tell us a little bit about this piece? Uh, actually, it's about uh, Indian Puranic corpse, and that's my first attempt in a novel. Okay. Have you been doing some writing before, or this is? Is it uh, your this first, first, first attempt? Yes. Oh, great, great. Uh, this is. Uh, is, there's wonderful language throughout this. Thank you. Um, yeah, this this was <clears throat> such a uh, I feel like such a strange scene. You know, it opens up with this sort of this night. There's a a tiger that seems to have been slaughtered in some way, and the wolves are devouring it. And then we move into this cottage that I love the description of this cottage uh, within the closed confines of a tiny cottage made from torn clothes, leaves, and bamboo sticks. Um, the, uh, a lot of the imagery here is just, you know, fabulous. Uh, I really enjoy it. Thank you. I, uh, is this, I didn't quite catch what you said. Is, is this a story that you're familiar with already? Is this a retelling of a story or is this a story that you're inventing um, uh, right it's now? It's a retelling, retelling of a story. 
it's a retelling of uh, this woman's story who has just given birth? Uh, actually, uh, it's the nightmare of the protagonist. It, it's who? I'm sorry? Uh, it's the nightmare of the protagonist. The protagonist is a six-year-old boy who comes in the third page. If you uh, can see the third page, uh, the description of the protagonist is done in the third page, and it's a nightmare. The story begins from the nightmare of the protagonist. Okay. So is this a story that uh, you, as a group, are you all familiar with this story? Does it, does it, does it resonate as something that you're familiar with, or is it um, a, a completely new environment to you? Well, I guess you, you're right. You haven't read it. I'm sorry. That's I'm forgetting this. Um, well, I so for me reading this story, I was these are my basic principles in terms of storytelling go back to uh, the sense of audience. Okay, so what? what are we going to be providing the audience in terms of their experience? This is the thing that I think most about. I think that the audience's experience is created by point of view primarily. So to kind of go over that again a little bit. So we have the writer up here. The writer is writing all the words. But one of the things that they're doing is that they're also writing what the point of view of the world is going to be. And that is generally through the protagonist. That becomes the frame of the story. The, we have, well, there's two frames in a sense. <clears throat> there's the conflict, which is the large frame of the protagonistic and antagonistic forces. So we put a frame around that. But then we also create the view of that world through the point of view, usually of a single character. So that then what happens is the reader who's reading the book, they basically are able to go, forgive me about this, but they basically get to experience the world from within the body of the protagonist. Once we have that in place, if we can establish that, and it's something we should establish, I feel, at the beginning of a story, we want to both establish the conflict and the point of view. Those two things are essential to start with. And it's not that we, you might say, well, I don't want to write a story like that. And again, I go back to the fundamental biggest rule of them all, whatever works, works. You know, I, in, any, in any given instance, I'm only, in a sense, giving my own point of view based on my experience about what works. And it also kind of, you know, works for me, right? So people can be different. So... We want to establish this point of view and we want to establish the point of view because we want to take our little reader. I wish I had a little sticker like, you know, the little reader. We want to take the reader through the experience of the story, right? The emotional roller coaster of the story so that they end up feeling like they have had the experience. That's what we end up doing in stories. And that's why they're so powerful because the reader experiences something that they think is basically empirical. They think they've actually had an experience. And then the truth of that experience, whatever it should be, is something that they feel like they've learned for themselves. 
Okay, so as I look at this piece, so this is something that I would suggest, you know, trying to work on a little bit. The language is great and, and this world is great. And, and what I can see is that you have this kind of amazing vision. You remind me of a writer. This piece reminds me of this writer, uh, Cormac McCarthy, an American writer named Cormac McCarthy. And he, he's written a lot of wild, <laughs> wild stories um, that, and it, well, I was gonna say he was really influenced by, by the, the writing of the Old Testament Bible, which in, in English has this, you know, it's just this wild language. So he just draws you into these language tapestries, if that makes sense. And, uh, and but, but in his stories, the, the world that you're being drawn into is kind of frightening. <laughs> You know, it's like obviously this is a this is a very challenging environment. Um, but what I so I think that there's there that is a great thing to be bringing into the story. And now, if you can add to that, thinking a little bit about whose story is it, and when. So this is a kind of combination. It's I, I don't have a, a, any kind of linear structure for this, but like whose story is it? Whose story do you want to tell? And and. Uh, how do I figure that out? I figure out whose story I want to tell by who ends up being changed by the experience. Because I know that that's fundamental to the nature of the story. So a story is basically like this. A character comes into a situation. They're met by the forces of antagonism in what we might call an event, right? Something happens in a story. And after that thing happens, this character comes out the other side changed. So I think that that's a, that's a concept maybe to bring into this, whether it's the woman's story. Um, I think you might be indicating that it's the, the child's story. So this is maybe the story of the mother. But whoever, we, want to, we do want to know whose story it is because the reader, again, going back to the fundamentals, which might sound not smart enough, but I don't claim to be smart, the reader wants to have an experience. They want to, another thing we can put on our computer, the reader does not want to read about an experience. They want to have an experience, right? And so this for me, while I enjoyed the writing so much, I wasn't having the experience. I was reading about an experience. And that's a really big difference. Like, and I put it this way, not to be, you know, if, if I'm not having the experience, then there are places, and I'm only reading about an experience, of course, I can have an experience by going out my door. This is how I think of it to myself. I can have an experience by, you know, fixing my fence, I can go to the park, I can walk through the woods. So it's very easy for me to have an experience. So we we want to be conscious of that. That is the that is the great that is the great difference I think between writing that is that is just writing and writing that really gets an audience. Because we might think and I know and I totally understand it that we have something that we feel that someone else should read. 
the problem with pesky people, and I feel it all the time, pesky people, is that they don't agree with us, right? So the only thing that really tips the balance is if we forget about the fact that we have something we think they should read, we don't let them know that. And we make it something they want to read. And when we make it something we want, they want to read, it's because we've given them something. We're giving them an experience, an emotional experience that's difficult, as I said, characters in peril that they get to experience for free. You can see how powerful that is, right? This woman, she's, a, she's, she's in this hut. I mean, that's a very perilous experience. She's just given birth. There's a dead tiger outside and wolves. I mean, this is a, this is a very bad situation. If, if I feel like I, I think I'm, I'm a little bit like a lay person, evolutionary psychologist, but basically what we're doing is we're, we're taking the reader, we're, we're using the reader's evolutionary brain, our desire to survive. And we're taking that brain and we're putting it into this character and saying, okay, will you survive or not this experience? And when we do that, our little human brain is on fire with like, where's information? What am I going to do? What's happening? You know, that's what I call engagement, but I don't mean it lightly. That engagement is the evolutionary brain trying to figure out, will I survive this or not? But again, in the safety of my own home. Bring that into this story, you know, make some of these decisions. Whose story is it? Create, work on creating that point of view. It's very difficult, but it's not impossible. The, <clears throat> since we're on it, I would just say, so as, a, as advice in terms of how to write point of view, write the sensory experiences of a single character. I will, I will say, be careful about having multiple points of view. I know that you read a lot that has multiple points of view, but be careful with it. Because when we have multiple points of view, we're in danger of going into the two zones we don't want to go into. Guess which zone? Remember confusion and boredom? So which zone might we go into if we have multiple points of view? Confusion. Right? So we want to be wary of confusion, but we also don't want to write the single point of view in a flat way that doesn't go deep enough because then we're going towards the possibility of boredom. Right? So, um, but the key to writing point of view is to write sensory experiences, which are actions. Sensory experiences being, again, I'm a simple person, but we're, we're going to the language that that describes the same world that human beings experience. I know the world because of sight, because of touch, because of taste, because of hearing, because of smelling. And I want to point out that all of those sensory experiences are actions and they are physical. They are not ethereal. They're physical actions that take place within the body. 
So you might see a little bit, if you, did, if you think about a point of view and you start writing about, a, you know, let's say this woman who looks out the window and sees the wolves and smells the viscera from the dying tiger, right? Yes. Now I'm inside the woman. Now I'm inside her, in her hut. Yes. That's big. You know, that's big. That's that. And for me as a reader, of course, I'm much more affected by feeling like I'm a woman looking at some wolves eat, feasting on a tiger than I am feeling like, oh, I'm a, you know, a guy in Oregon reading about it. Right? What's the effect of that? Well, I'm reading about it. I got a lot of things like, but instead now I'm a woman going like this <sighs> and touching the dust. And that's powerful. Yes. And that's the kind that's the kind of power that we're after, I think, my advice, because we have to face the facts. We're if we're writers that want an audience, there are a lot of writers that want an audience. Right? There are a lot of people who want to be heard. So, so the thing that I, <laughs> the thing when I was in workshop, okay, going in with my first stories or something like that, I said to myself, I was like, and I was with these other writers. I, I mean, I didn't even think of myself as a writer. I was just, I was just like a, a guy trying to figure out what job I might be able to do. <laughs> I knew I didn't want to do construction work anymore. Okay, so. I was there and I was like, they're smart. They know how to write. They're clever. They're funny. They're, they write beautiful sentences. They get praised all the time. What am I bringing to this? What is my gift? My gift was I am going to work harder than they do. That was what I brought. Wasn't true. Not true. <laughs> Not true. But we have to, we have to embrace the idea that we have a gift and build on it. You have a gift for language. Thank you, you have a Thank gift. You. you have a gift for this imagery. Thank you. Now add, I'm going to work hard. Oh, I get it. This is another thing. I, the, I'm embracing by my street. The, the other thing that I brought very much, I, I think my real quality that I brought to writing was that I really wanted to do it. And everything that people said, everything that a mentor said, I took it in. I did not go, no, I did not go, you're wrong. I did not go, I tried to, I might say, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't get it. But then I worked to try to understand what they were saying. I did not say, I did not ever go, this is, I've seen so many writers, well, they're not writers, frankly. They're not writers who are being like, I'm right and you are wrong. No, the truth is I'm right and you're right. So figure that out and figure out how to use it. I hope you all will try and figure out a little bit how I might be a little bit right and that you're also right. You're not wrong either. None of us are wrong. Our aspirations are not wrong. Our desire to be read are not wrong. None of it. It's all right. And the desire of the reader, also not wrong. <laughs> you know, 
they're, they're, they are not, they're not some ignoramus that needs to be instructed about something that needs to be taught a lesson that needs to have this experience. No, they're a human being that, who are just as right as we are. When we realize that, now I'm going to get all gushy about it again, but when we realize that, then we're doing the thing with our writing that we really want to do. Bring us together. We don't come together because this is the wrong person that gets beaten down or this person is the wrong person. We come together by understanding that we're human beings and right. And we do that beautifully, I think almost maybe in only one place in these books where we merge the consciousness of the writer and we merge with the consciousness of the reader. And we create instances like that beautiful, honestly, Ashvani, I'm going to pick on you again, that beautiful instance where it wasn't me reading about some kid with the fans. When this kid goes right here, okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. I laughed out loud with joy and suffering. I did. I laughed out loud. What a wonderful, you know, and rare experience for me. So, okay, so I really went off. <laughs> Forgive me, but really, I, uh, um, I love this. I love this environment. And then when you do it, so this is a, another thing, like, this is like a little thing that we can work on. And we work on because we work on it in drafts. You know, this, this hut made of torn clothes and leaves, it's easy to write the words. Easy to write words. It's much harder to write truth and, and a true reality. So while it's easy to describe a hut as being made of torn clothes, leaves, and bamboo sticks, when I get to the bottom of the paragraph and I read that she has a window, I'm going like, I don't understand this place anymore, yeah. right? So, so when you, when we imagine, so when we imagine things, I think this is important for all of us again, when we imagine things, we're not just using language. We have to have, we, imagination, a strong imagination comes from, we're using, we're using language to describe the things that we actually see and feel and touch. So there's no, there's no easy buy-in. I can't just write, you know, I can't write whatever I want. I have to really feel it. Um, it's, uh, I love the story of Vincent van Gogh. <clears throat> the, someone said, someone said to him, you know, the, painting Starry Night, someone said, um, it's, it's wonderful that you paint the sky like that. And he said, I don't paint the sky like that. It is like that. <laughs> there you go. Let, let Vincent, I mean, you don't have to cut off your ear to be like Vincent van Gogh. I don't paint it like that. It is like that. That is something to ponder. Uh, hold on, hold on.
Um, let's see. Ah, Tale of Two Brothers. Um, I maybe if if everyone is uh, handing in something for next time, you could uh, maybe just hand handily put your own name on it somewhere at the top, so I can know who's. Uh, that's me. I have put my name right in the top. Rasita Vishnu. Oh, I thought that that was the name of the person you might be quoting. I thought <laughs> that that was a quote, a quote, and then that was the name of the person who was being quoted. Well, it's not being quoted exactly yet. No, uh, you, you might be quoted. I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. Okay. Well, that said. Still, let's put everyone else will put their name on. That's a, another joke. Okay. Um, so um, now, Draupadi, I don't know a lot of people. I think that Draupadi is part of the Mahabharata. Is that? Yes. Is, yes. Hey, good. I got something. I got something right. Uh, I love the character of Draupadi. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I Actually, I will please take a recommendation for a really great translation of the Mahabharata because I, act, I do want to read it. I am, personally, I have an interest, particularly in the stories that, that I feel, anyway, I don't know, I don't know the, the, all the ins and outs, but the ones, the, ones, uh, the stories uh, that have come, Oh, sorry, I'm gonna, I'm getting a little feedback. So I'm gonna, um, oh, thank you. Um, but the stories that transition between oral culture and literate culture, uh, I, I think that they're fascinating. But anyway, so I'll take a recommendation of a great translation so that I can uh, read the entire text. Um, by Dr. Vivek Debroy. Okay, if you want to send me, if you can send me a, um, a message on that, I'll check it afterwards. It's, um, okay. So, okay, so, Rasita, uh, am I saying it close? Yes. Can, can, you tell, can you tell us a little bit about this piece? Okay, um, so I attended a storytelling workshop a few months ago, and there was an exercise here, and they asked us to remit, uh, to remember what is the first story or a childhood story that you could recollect. So this was a story that I could actually recollect. This is the, in as far as my memory goes, this was the first story that I can actually remember my aunt telling me the story. So I, this is something which I have retained. Uh, I was able to retain, recall and retell. So they asked, us, they asked me to write it down in, uh, uh, I mean, a few words, you know, less than a thousand words. So this was my attempt at that it was it was a pressure exercise like so i had to write this down and then after i wrote the story i told the story to my son because this was the earliest story i remembered and i uh, i showed the story that i wrote and i narrated the story and he was like oh it's nice then i thought that perhaps because i have this remembrance of childhood this story i wanted my son to also have some stories that his mom told him and which were part of our history part of our uh, puranas you know so I thought maybe I should find a few of these. These are some of the unknown stories. I mean, they are there and they're not very popular. They're not very well known, 
So I wanted to make a small anthology or a complete com compile it, you know, a compendium of 10 to 12 stories. And the theme had, uh, and the theme around it is like meeting. So various characters congregate and meet in Mahabharata. Like this is a story where Bhima meets his older brother, Hanuman. So there are various other stories like uh, Arjuna meeting Krishna or uh, I have noted some few stories like Bhishma meeting Satyavati, Gandhari meeting Dhritarashtra. So how meaningful these meetings are and there is this background behind them and how it has changed um, the perspective of people or how important eventful these meetings are. So my attempt is to make a collection of uh, unknown stories between major characters or minor characters meeting. Some identify some 12 to 15 stories and compile um, a storybook, you know, small stories like 750 to 1000 words, not more than that because the attention span of kids, you know, is only that much. I don't want to write a real full length uh, thing, you know, so that's my, uh, okay. I want to make an attempt. Um, well, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So, so there, uh, there are a couple of things I want to uh, dive into then um, with this. So yeah, one of my, one of my questions at the bottom is like, if this is a story that people already know that already exists, what are you bringing to it that's new? So that's a question. So, right. So, um, because, right, we're going, remember, <laughs> we'll go back to our thing, the two sides, boredom and confusion. So if we're telling a story that people already know, that, that can have a there's, a, there's a possibility for boredom there, unless we tell it in a new way. This is, um, sorry, I'll, I'm sorry if my, my, my quotes and references are all too, too uh, Western. No, I agree but, with you, uh, but I'm trying to look at a little less known stories, not, not very popular, not, uh, not very well known among at least some of the stories that kids don't know. Um, they might know no, the no, overall no, story of Mahabharata, but these are episodes that are not very well known, you know, meeting between some characters and all that. So I want to identify yeah. those kind of stories. Right. I, well, I'm, I'm still getting it. You can tell I'm just warming up here. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I was going to get to that in a second, but do, do, uh, Ezra Pound said, make it new. So, but when we say make it new, right, he's not saying, what is the it? Okay. All our stories, all of our stories kind of already exist. You know, I, you know, people say there's like, we, we have new characters. We, we do something new to them. But the human drama remains similar, you know, so we want to add something to it. But one of the things that we can add is make it new to you, right? I mean, in a sense, you're saying, I think you're saying some people, maybe scholars or, you know, there are some people who know these stories, but you're looking to uh, translate these stories for a new audience so that works and you're already talking about how you're going to do that you're going to keep them short right you're going to do you know you're you're already thinking about how you're going to make this story new for a new audience that doesn't know it and keep them in so that's all working as far as i'm concerned that's what i was going to say so um and i think it's uh you know i, I think that that's a, a great prospect too the other thing that I wanted to say was, um, I think it's interesting. Now, I might have something wrong here, but 
you had the writing assignment to write a story from your childhood. And what you wrote was a story that you heard in your childhood. And I just want to say that there's a lot of different ways that you could have taken that as a, if it was an assignment, right? So, and just, just for us to think about, right? <clears throat> so if someone had told me to write a story from my childhood, I would not have, I would not have written a story that I heard in my childhood. I probably would have written a story about, oh yeah, there was a time I went to the park and but there were these big kids there and they were on the swing and they told me to go away, but I didn't want to go away. I really wanted to swing and then they punched me in the eye. Okay. I grew up in New York. So that's probably the story I would tell. So that's a story about my experience specifically. Or there could be the story about me hearing a story. Or you could have the story of, I think you did you say your grand your grandmother told you this story or your mother told you this story? My so aunt. There could be the experience of your aunt. Yeah. So your aunt, you know, there could be the story of your aunt telling you the story, which is still an experience, right? In character. I'm just, I'm gonna get to something that I just want to I guess put in your brain. <laughs> so but here we have a story in which your experience as a character, not as a writer, right? This because you're you're being actually when you're asked to write a story, when you write a story, what you're doing is you're always you're not writing a story about you. You're always writing stories about characters. You make characters, characters are in stories, you are outside of the story. So what, what you did a little bit is you took you and, and your experience and you took it out and you just left the story itself. I just bring it up because I want, I, I want to encourage everyone to also know that we, that our stories are also important, not just other stories. Other stories are important, but also our stories are important. That's actually, you know, remember I brought up Chekhov being the, he was like the short story God, you know, basically, but that's what he did. He, he, he transitioned at his time that he started writing stories. He transitioned from the time that people were only telling stories about famous people, uh, nobles, you know, kings, et cetera, et cetera. That's who they told stories about. And what Chekhov did was he told stories about everyday people. And that was a really big thing. To bring into literature. So I just want to put that on a sidebar. I think that the project is a wonderful one. You know, I think it's wonderful to want to capture these stories that were meaningful for you and bring them to a new audience like your son, who might not have the attention span to delve into the scholarly texts from which these stories come. I think that that's also amazing. So I think it's all good. For me, stories, every kind of story is a good one, you know. Um, so, um, and now I have something else. Who knew? Something else to say. This story is a great one because it does what stories, what the great stories do. In a very, stories, I want to go back to this basic pattern and you already described it. You said that even the Mahabharata is about people meeting each other and having encounters. I'll tell you, um, the idea of encounter with, so when we say encounter, what we mean is we have the individual 
having an encounter with the other, right? What does that sound like? It sounds like a protagonist and an antagonist. The encounter is like this. And that's what you actually have here. And not only that, right? So we have the one brother, um, Bima, right? Comes down the path and meets the monkey, right? Be, I want to just point out that if we want to learn about storytelling, all we have to do is see them. You know, we have to understand that it's not for no reason that this story has lasted for however long it has lasted because it's doing what stories do. This is the power of stories. It is very simple. A character is one way, one way, like this. Egotistical in this case, uh, haughty, arrogant. Uh, you know, he, I, I, love, I love him. He's like, I have a destiny. I have to do this thing. I have a quest. My life is incredibly important and everything else in the world is not. Am I fair? Is fair? Somewhat. Goes down the path. There's a monkey in the road. Just a monkey, right? <laughs> and I love the exchange between the two of them. But basically, the monkey confronts him. And the monkey confronts him and says, you're not the only person that exists in the world. You are not the only thing in the world. Um, you are not the most powerful. You're not central to the experience of the world. Other things exist, like me and everything else. When our protagonist meets that force, he comes out changed. That is a story. That is what we are going to do, whether we make a story about ourselves, we are going to write about encounters, encounters with the world. That's what we do. And we are, and, and we'll go back to it, we must be changed by it. If our protagonist in this case comes and meets the monkey, he's arrogant, and then he steps on the monkey and carries on, it is not a story by my estimation. So I think it's a brilliant example of that. And, you know, the, the thing about the, well, I was gonna say that this story reminds me a little bit of Gilgamesh, which I know better. You know, that's, uh, we have the arrogant king who, you know, Gilgamesh, who meets the, you know, his double essentially, his brother, his doppelganger, however you want to think of him, Enkidu, who comes from the steppe. And they're equally powerful. And when they battle and realize that they're equals, they understand that the other that that the world exists. That is not just them alone. And that's a, that's a destruction of the ego. And actually, this is, I mean, not to get too philosophical about it or psychological about it. But this is the process of stories. The process of stories is the, the centralized protagonistic force meets the world. And there is a essentially a kind of destruction of their ego as a result. That is how they are changed. The, the stories are great. We, we know they work because they've lasted. 
You know the stories that did not work? We don't know them. Just like today, just like today, the stories that don't work, we don't know because they didn't work. They didn't give us that information that we so desperately need. This same story, that essential story, we need to hear again and again and again. That it's not, I don't want to get too philosophical about it. But anyway, I think, I think it's great. I think it's a great idea. I, I encourage you to do it. And now, now I would also suggest that if you're going to write it for the modern audience, that you take in some of these ideas about point of view that I was mentioning in the last piece. So it's that don't, don't write the piece because, because there were differences between uh, the stories that came out of oral cultures where you had storytellers that told them and then they wrote them down and all of, all of that. There are differences between those stories and modern stories. And those stories contained a lot of information um, that about culture, about the way to do things. They were actually, the way I see it, stories were key to our, our survival and advancement as a species because they helped us learn things, right? But there are some differences in the modern story. So I would use those, particularly maybe point of view and um, set up anticipation and things like that, that our, our modern audiences and our kids more than anyone, they, they're very familiar with very effective, um, potent storytelling from everywhere because it's been made into a, almost a, a psychological science, particularly by people who make movies. They know uh, people who make cartoons, people who make video games, people who make all of these things know how to tell a story with a great deal of potency. And so if we're trying to get them, this is the audience who now they're playing video games, they're watching movies, they're playing TikTok, you know, whatever they're doing, if we're trying to get them as an audience, we have to do something that's as good as all the stuff that they're already doing. That's the challenge. And, and the people who are making TikTok and uh, Twitter or whatever they're doing, they know what they're doing. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's, it's going into my wheelhouse, you know, a story like this. I, I just, I love it. I, I love the fact that I, and, and this is something not to, not to be looked at lightly, because I want to, I guess I want to emphasize it one more time, change of character. When I read this story, I understood the change. There might be a lot of things I might want in terms of point of view and environment and blah, blah, blah. So, but who cares? That's not what the story is finally about. The story is about a character encounter and change. That's the fundamental of story. And it is here. And when I read it, I responded to it. I respond to it. The guy is like, he's on a quest. I'm with him. I'm on a quest. Da, da, da. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get a flower. I'm going to be great. Right? Damn monkey. You know? Oh, just move my tail. Just move it out of the way. <laughs> you're, so, you're so powerful. You know? So, uh, and then he comes out the other side. And then uh, it's like, that, that change occurs and I take that away. And that is the core of story. It doesn't matter whether you write 600 pages or four pages. Keep that in your work. 
If you don't have it, I, not to not to over repeat myself, but you will be surprised how many people think they're writing a story about a character who starts out like this and they end like this, the same. And my argument is that's not even a story. That is typing. That is typing. Ashwani, I'm looking at you. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, what? Let's see. I have that. I have that. Um, the Raman. Janine. Yeah, that's me. You can call me Ram. You can call me Ram. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to be kind to me. You just make, no. Make me do it. This is this is just like stories. Okay. I mean, honestly, it's I it's way. actually that I love my I love my name a lot. So I am kind to people so that they are kind back to me, <laughs> and don't misspell my name. Oh, it, it's great. It's great. Um, okay, uh, tell me a little bit about this story. This is another one. This is, I, you know, the, the environment here. Again, I was reminded a little bit of Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy, and this one even more so, particularly. So this story, this story really reminded me of this uh, book, Blood Meridian. Okay, Blood Meridian has this scene, a wild story, um, but this, but this, uh, it's kind of like a rebirth story. I don't know what happened here, but there's, there's a kid that's the, the protagonist, but then there's a war. And it, his, his work takes place in the, the American Southwest during the, the wars between the indigenous people and the, and the settlers, basically. And um, so a, a kid that is at war. I mean, it's just, I mean, he writes it as, as bloody and, and you know, as, as you do, right? So, you know, you're writing like he is. You know, it's just, and speaking of chaos and Armageddon and throwing every other word of apocalyptic horror that you want to throw in, and there it is, right? You know, in this world. And from that, from that sort of steaming mass of carnage, then really this, it's the kid, but, it, but he sort of is, it's a rebirth. I mean, McCarthy is very, he likes his religious uh, imagery um, a lot, but then very, very bloody, very macabre. And this this piece reminded me of that. Um, okay. Uh, tell tell me a little bit about this. Is this a story that that is is a known story, or is this a story? Yes. Yeah, so, so this is uh, so this is, these are the opening passages of a novel that I had started to write. Uh, this is based on the Mahabharata again, but this is a different point of view. Uh, so this is uh, this is the point of view of the antagonist. So there are a lot of questions that are left open. So a reader of the Mahabharata, a lot of questions come, crop up in your mind. A lot of questions for which there are no answers, which you have to seek yourself. So this uh, the objective is to answer some of those questions from the point of view of the antagonist. So in this, the protagonist is the antagonist of the original story. Great. Okay. So this is fulfilling one of the basic things that we we're already talking about, right? If you're taking something that's, let's say it's old, right? We have to make it new. We have to change it. We have to do something to it to find that new audience. 
because we can't just retell the old story. I cannot, I mean, as much as I would like to, you know, just write Romeo and Juliet, I have to call it when Harry met Sally, right? I have to call it something else. You know, I do still, I do still rewrite Romeo and Juliet. I do. You know, it's about human interaction, human interaction and change, or and I, it's not always even human interaction. It could be interaction with the environment, whatever it is, and change. So, um, so that's great. That also reminds me of another book that I think is a, a book that has been influential for me, even if I might not have, I don't know. It, I guess I liked it when I read it, but it was by uh, a guy named John Gardner and it was called Grendel. So it was like, for me, it was the first introduction about this idea that the antagonistic point of view, so basically Grendel is a retelling of the Beowulf story. Okay. So Beowulf, right, is the Norse myth, you know, yeah. of Beowulf defeating Grendel. Well, John Gardner wrote it from Grendel's point of view. And it and in that book, so so that that big shift for me, I was in college when I read that, and John Gardner was actually teaching at the college I was at, but I never took class with him, so that was dumb of me. But anyway, it was the first introduction to this idea that we're not <clears throat> Edith Sitwell said there's no truth but point of view. No truth but point of view. So that's all just switching the point of view. And that book also has one of the lines that I that I treasure in it. So Grendel, you know, Grendel is portrayed as like the, the monstrous chaos, right? You know, the thing that, you know, the thing that's the antithesis of order. And that's how John Gardner wrote it. And at one point, Grendel is on the step, right? <laughs> Either a snowy step or whatever it is that they have up there, you know, and uh, looking out and Grendel says, sees these figures moving across the step and Grendel thinks to itself, oh no, the pattern makers. Oh, oh no, the pattern makers. That's a human being. And I use that all the time because we really are. Nice. Something to remember. Yeah. It's something to remember in our stories too, that, that our reader is always trying to figure out patterns. And we are going to get them involved in a pattern, and then we're going to alternate it in order to create effect. Um, so I think that that's a that's a terrific idea. I in this piece, I really, you know, what I really liked in this piece that really jumped out at me. Um, mm -hmm. You have this figure moving around dressed in white. We have a lot of discussion about whether she might be a widow. I did not know that a widow would dress in white, so that was. Okay. Interesting to me, um, but you 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 um, you really describe her process of moving around from the point of view of this guy who's lying there. You know, he's Bridge. lying there. You know, shattered legs and you know in in, in a very rough shape. It seems like, uh, and and you describe her going this way, she's kind of desultorily, you know, walking around through the corpses. Right. Um, and I really like that attention. And it brings me just to make this point is that <clears throat> as writers, and I'm really not seeing a lot in this work right now, but as writers, we, we get into the idea of explaining things and writing ideas and 
you know, illuminating people and telling them what's right and what's not right. And I, I'm definitely in the school of throw that stuff out. Right. Readers love to read processes of life experience yeah. because that's the thing that they're first, the first thing that they're buying into is that we know the world by having experiences of it. One point by point by point by point. My world generally is either, either boring, right? Mm -hmm. Or too chaotic. Right. And what I want is I want to come to this place here mm -hmm. where it's um, neither boring nor confusing, right. Right? right? I want to leave these two possibilities, which my life has plenty of, and come right. to this one good place. Right. And, and that place uses the same technique. Just deal mm -hmm. with, or just going sentence by sentence. It's new. It's a new sentence. I anticipate what's going to happen. I'm surprised. Anticipate, mm -hmm. surprise. Anticipate, surprise. And, and I really felt that, particularly in that central paragraph there that describes this figure. So I, I really want to say I appreciated that. So I have a question for you. So when you read this, so did you read this or did it take you to the battlefield? Uh, run that by me again. When I read it, what? So when you read this passage I, uh, where I'm describing the battlefield, so did you read the description or did it transport you to the uh, place? It was right on the edge. Yeah. Okay. It was right, it was right on the edge. Um, I would really like you to... So this scene in Cormac McCarthy that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. where the war scene that the kid goes into and comes out of, mm -hmm. it's actually a pretty chaotic scene. It's a pretty chaotic scene. And I, when I read it, I felt critical of it because I really did not understand what was going on. Cormac mm -hmm. McCarthy, is a, he leans on language. So I think that there's different kinds of writers a little bit. So okay. those of us who really have skills with language, not me, mm -hmm. And there's those of us who have skills with the storytelling. Probably okay. not me again. I'm, I'm trying to get both, you know? I'm trying to do both. And because he has so much language, what we tend to do is we go to what we're strong at. You have a lot of language. And we saw that also with, with some other pieces, you know, that the piece with the tiger and the wolves, you know, that's tremendous language, right? It can it can start to feel a little bit too much like language. I mean, I saw even when okay. I was talking about the other piece that you were sort of nodding, that it's like, yeah, it's easy to use language. Yeah, I was thinking that. to the imagination, mm -hmm. you know, to have it be real, to have it go back to our little Van Gogh thing. I'm not, I'm not painting it like that. It is right. that. Right. And I think that you can hone that in. But, I, but that said, I had some of that feeling of being there. Okay. Probably what I'm probably what I'm probably if uh, if I were to make a suggestion about what I'm right. lacking is actually a, a little more strict point of view. So okay. I don't really feel that I, what what I lack, and this is what happened with me in the Cormac McCarthy, was that I became dislocated during mm. the carnage. So okay. I didn't know where I was. I was just up here reading right. all this language that was taking place down here and this world, right? So right. I could kind of see it, but I could see it from a distance. If you add right. a point of view so that you're seeing and experiencing the world from that point of view, then right. that's much more located. 
Right. So if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that uh, what I have written, it is the author's point of view, whereas it ideally should be the character's point of view. Yep. Okay. That's yeah. useful. Thanks you. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Yeah, and and you know what's what's, <clears throat> I think it can be useful to think about it, and I do think about it a little bit this way. You know, mm -hmm. so there are stories in a lot of different places, and they have different things that they can use. So mm -hmm. when most of us are familiar with actually at this point of watching stories, you know, of our generation, we watched many stories on on movies, right? Right. So you think about the movie experience. The movie experience is really objectified. I'm an audience, and mm. I'm looking at the characters. Right. So that is great. I say, I say, movies do what movies are good at. Mm. Books and writing do what books are good at. So fair point. You know, when I saw, I mean, there was a movie from a while ago, um, Empire of the Sun. I, you know, and you know, it's China, and you know, the the imperial city. I mean, it's just gorgeous. And I know you know movies like this too. Gorgeous scenes, big battles. You know, but they're visually exciting. Right. So those visuals are great. That's what they can do. But what can we do that the movies can't? That's what I that I'm a I'm a tactician. Right. I'm trying to compete with movies. I want someone to read my book and not look at the movie. Can I compete yeah. with the movie in terms of the big scene? No. But can I make the can I make the reader go inside the brain and body of a character? Right. And wow. give the experience. Okay. I that's can, profound. Right? Yeah, that's profound. Yeah. 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 That's the, that's what that's what we have. Right. Do we <laughs> tell me tell me I mean even if I write the color green is it as good as the color green on a screen? No. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But what I can do is I can I make the reader walk in the shoes of the protagonist. And then the key, as I said, as I said earlier, um, Vashali, to, to Vashali, he has said, you know, um, the way we the way we get into point of view is lean heavily on sensory experience and action. Don't just go to sight, because mm. right, sight is objectifying. Right. Is objectifying. The other the other senses are more are more intimate right. and i will even do this i will do this to get the reader into point of view i will move through um he saw um uh he looked across the room and saw his uh mother approaching uh as she stepped forward her perfume wafted over him uh honeysuckle and violet mm. or whatever da, 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 da. she reached out she reached out her hand he took it cold clammy da 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 right so like right i when i was when i was at stanford in the workshop there was a woman who was in, in the stanford workshop so she was you know quite a writer she seemed to write a paragraph in which she touched down on every five someone told her sensory perception and she seemed to touch down on all five sensory perceptions in every paragraph and I was like, oh, I get it. She, someone told her to do that. And so she just does it in every paragraph. So I was a haughty, <laughs> arrogant person, like, you know, pre-monkey. I was a pre-monkey person. And, uh, but it worked, right? So it might've been, she might've just been ticking off her things and that might've been a, the way she did it at first. 
you know, or maybe she developed something else. But however you do it, I'm saying do it because that's what gets us into the body of that character. And then the other thing is now you have that character and get them involved in dramatic experiences with other people. Okay. Those are, but yeah, um, I mean, the, the, the writing is great. The language is great. And, and I can see that you obviously have an understanding for this already. But now if we can just see that little transition from writing in which the reader is experiencing the writing to writing in which the reader is in it. Right. That transition from this kind of work to this kind of work, it's immeasurably different. True. Um, Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. I had a question I, to ask. I had a question uh, to yeah. ask. Yeah. Uh, so uh, in my writing last uh, week, I had uh, I had given the first line, and you had mentioned that you have to have a good opening line. Uh, can I give examples of some good opening line that I can grip the attention of the readers on the very first go? I find that very difficult to do. Okay, I um, I'm gonna go. Um, I'm going to go back to Ashrani. Okay, so the there's a couple of things that we, there's basically two main things that we want to do. Okay, uh, in in the beginning of our piece, and it's hard because we have a linear language, so that means it seems that we do one thing before the other. That's just the way it is. You know we. We don't get to have in the movies, they get to have the opening shot, right? The opening shot is important. They get to include a lot in the opening shot. We are dealing with words. So that's our limitation, but we also make the most of it. The two main things that I think you want to do in the opening is as quickly as you can establish the conflict and locate the reader. So I'm using the word locate the reader. But what I really mean by that is not necessarily locate them. Someone's giving us some feedback. Um, so, so locate the reader and establish a conflict. And when, when I say locate the reader, uh, that can also be create that sympathetic attachment to the POV character. When I say locate, I don't mean location. Like in this first sentence, we have Madras, right? But I don't really mean that. Uh, oh wait, I don't want. Wait, I want something else. I want to highlight this. Well, I can't. Okay, I'm just gonna. So, Adras, just imagine this is uh, not. This is not my iPad. I don't. I'm doing this with my mouse. Okay, this opening. So, when I this is big. <laughs> okay, the conflict we know. We want to get to two things on the page that are. Um, that are of issue. For this guy, right, we, for this person, the, the, the problem is this environment, right? So that's the, you know, which is always the issue. The individual versus the forces of antagonism, which is the rest of the world. That's the conflict. However, it becomes identified. But the other is locate the reader. And this is the big thing. I can say that it's, well, we should know where we are. Yeah. We should know where we are. But is that knowing? Is that a location? 
Is it Madras? Is it the school? Is it what? I think it's the point of view. We, the, the biggest thing we need to do is we need to get that reader into the point of view. And what is the point of view? Well, it's a character in a way, but it's also a consciousness. I want that to sink in. We want to put them in a consciousness. We want to, remember when I was saying about Ashvani's piece, I was saying he welcomes us in. What does he welcome us into? He welcomes us into a consciousness and locates us pleasantly within it so that we feel comfortable and secure for the difficulties that are to follow, right? So, so this isn't, we're not going directly into a point of view. We're going to be with this character in a sense, but we're really with this consciousness. And the consciousness, my memories of school, of school days in summertime, Madras, listen to that. Who can, who cannot walk into that consciousness? It's so, my memories of school days in summer, I want to read like poetry. Summertime, Madras, are a disorderly admixture of unbearable heat, glistening humidity, and motionless air. Beautiful, actually. So it's beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, yes. I know. I'm teary again. And, and, but, but there's many other sentences that we can write because the, the, the point isn't these words and even these modulations, which there definitely are poetic modulations in this sentence, that does count. Um, but the openness, the spirit, that counts, but also establishing this, um, the, the conflict and locating the reader in a space where they feel secure. And then when, if we mess that up, so that's the beginning of the story. And now that's also, now our challenge is to keep both of those things going the entire time. So now we don't write anything else in the rest of the story that's not about the conflict and, and somehow, and we also keep them in, in that space, that comfortable, secure, wonderful space the entire time. That's why, for example, we don't have, um, Lashali, I'm not meaning to pick on you, but that's why we don't have, you know, we have a hut with made of cloth and leaves, but then we have a window in it. Because once I got read the window, I'm suddenly like, where am I? I've left. Right? This is this is what we're dealing with. We're we're dealing with words. We're dealing with um, again creating this merger of of minds in our work. Um, Shrela, does that? Thank you um, so much. Thank you. you. You mean that we, per, we have to have logic in our imaginations. We have to put logic and imagination together. In our <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's like we have to walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. It's, 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 it's very hard. It's actually very hard. I, I play tennis and uh, it is, it is really it is like being in the zone. It cannot be just thinking, right? And it also can't just be, and it can't just be voice, right? I think of writing as being, you know, what we're trying to do is create, recreate the experience for the reader of a lucid dream. 
But in order to do that, we have to have a lucid dream. So how do we do that? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Sorry. So I've seen some writers throwing someone off the gear, you know, suddenly surprising them, shocking them in the first, very first line. Would you suggest someone doing that in for a modern reader? So the the beginning is you have it. So there. The conflict, the conflict, and the locating the readers in in a consciousness. I think that that's the primary thing through which they're going to experience the rest of the story, basically. But there's definitely the idea of in media race in, in Greek means in the middle of the action. That is good advice. I just gave that advice to someone who, who showed me some pages of the beginning of her novel. And I was like, you know, if you're not doing that, what you have to imagine is, well, there's a lot of writers who are doing it. Remember, we're competing we're competing for readers. There's only a certain amount of people who are gonna read a certain amount of stuff. And there's a lot of people who wanna be a writer. And I'm gonna tell you, being a writer is a great job. I mean, it's not, it's not the fame. There's no fame, forget it. Forget about those things. Fame, the work is good. The work is amazing for us. So there are a lot of people who wanna do it. Whatever you can do to sustain it, do it. But there are a lot of people and they're gonna make those choices. So. You're, you're competing with everyone who's going to make, they're going to make the hardest choices. They're going to start out with the most exciting, most grabbing, you know, thing. And then when a publisher is looking at a selection of works, are they going to pick the slow start or that start? I don't know. I mean, I hope, I hope that, uh, you know, Ashvani, this is not, this is not an immediate race start. And I hope there is the publisher that will see, you know, what's so wonderful, you know, reminding me of, you know, books like, you know, Remains of the Day or, you know, so many wonderful books that take you into this consciousness that is just a place that you love to be. But we know in the movies, what movies get made, you know, the helicopter is falling off, you know, the, 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 the little uh, doll is going to be lost and grabs it at the last minute and the girl and that, you know, so we're making, we're making a bunch of choices and we wanna be smart about how we make them. We save a lot of time for ourselves if we make good choices before we spend all the time writing. Because writing is a bit slow, making smart choices is quick, right? We invest, we invest a year or two years into writing a book. It'd be nice to you know, shave off a little of that time and know that we're not just going to end up with an amorphous first draft, but that's okay too. Whatever the process is, is okay. Because for me, actually, I'm not, the book is just an artifact for us of the experience of writing the book. The big payoff for writing is for us. So it doesn't matter how we get there. You know, yeah, sure, we have a goal and we think we're going to be loved by the universe. You know, I, I'll tell you personally, that's not going to happen. We'll be lucky if we're loved by our families. <laughs> and then everything else is extra, you know. Um, 
but uh, yes uh, absolutely i agree with you and uh, i i would i ask you one more question before you know i am taking up all the time uh, but uh, one question i have was watching a few web series uh, very recently and i noticed that in that series they were able to you know the the, the viewer could you know agree with uh, the the protagonist they were agreeing with the protagonist every time and how to win over the uh, the reader, the viewer reader to the protagonist so you are just nodding your head to the what the what the protagonist is doing or feeling or defending them okay. of the whole thing right, right, right. well i don't know what series you're watching but yes that's exactly right so i mean what happens in a story is a protagonist makes a bunch of choices and because we're aligned with the protagonist, we basically uh, make the choices along with them and they make sense and they make sense for that character. They're not making choices that don't make sense. So they're making, for the character, they're making good choices. For the story, it's a combination. The character in the story goes like this, down. There, things are getting worse and worse and worse for the character, okay? And all the while they think that they're doing a good thing, but they're finally, they are doing a good thing. There's this idea of chiasmus. They're rising also, right? So as they're going down in sort of material ways, they're also rising in their potential to gain in spiritual ways. Um, but an example of, uh, I don't know what series you're watching. I haven't watched this and I didn't watch all of it because I got a little tired of it was Breaking Bad in the US. Breaking Bad is brilliant. Every step along the way, the guy is making a choice. Every step of the way, he's making the wrong choice, right? I mean, but I'm right with him. You know, I mean, oh, well, okay, let's see. Um, I'm a chemist. Uh, I lost my job. I have cancer. I'm going to die in two weeks. My family needs to make money. So in, in order to help my family, why not make uh, methamphetamine? Good choice, right? Good choice. <laughs> Okay, that makes sense. I mean, oh, Rob, society well, were right for him. What? Rob for society were right for according to him. If you see the moral moral side of it, it is wrong on the moral side of it. But if but he is making that choice which is right and making us believe also that he's right. Right, exactly. And let's go back to uh, the Sita's story, right, about the arrogance of the point of view character, right, the egotistical point of view. They think they're making the right choice for them alone. They're not making the right choice uh, morally and universally. They're making an egotistical choice, right? Um, yeah, and that's how we do it. And you'll notice that we can keep doing it, right? It doesn't matter whether it's the one instance uh, Rusito, you know, has the brother meet the monkey and that changes him or we have it repeatedly taking steps as Breaking Bad is taking steps going worse and worse and worse. I don't, I didn't watch the ending so I don't know where it finally goes but I know it's gonna go to a very, very, very difficult place. But what characters do as it extends, um, as we extend through the story is they basically, they have a strategy their strategy is generally that they know what the strategy is and what's best, and they do it. Then they meet adversity 
their strategy fails. And what do they do next? They double down on their same strategy. Right? The strategy of ego. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I make my choices. They fail. And then they say, well, I now know what's right. I know what my choices are. And they fail. Dot, dot, dot. That's the way it goes. These, these people writing these series now are, are brilliant storytellers. I mean, this is what I mean. They, they have, they, it's been watching them. I just can't get up from there. But understand now as a writer, start seeing them all from the writer's point of view. Why do they work? What is happening here? See some of these concepts that we're talking about and see them realize, yeah, this, these are the people, if we're storytellers, which we are, right? These are the people that we're competing with. They, they have it wired. They have it wired how to do this because they know exactly how our brains work. They know exactly what to show us to make us feel certain things. Um, they know exactly the relationships to put on the page. So all those things are true. And so we better know all of that stuff too and do it better because they're already in the place and we're not. So we got to supplant them. So what are we going to do? We're going to outwork them, right? And maybe, <laughs> and then we'll see what happens. But luckily we get payoff no matter what happens. Okay, I think I better go. I actually have another meeting. Um, Thank you so much. I I Thank you so all, much all for your insight. Yeah, sure. And uh, please submit something to me. Um, again, I think most, almost everyone. Oh, uh, Ramon, I think you 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 gave it to me maybe in the email. But if you could attach either a word file or a uh, yeah, I have done that. Yeah. I have done that in the afternoon. Okay. Okay. No, no, not a big deal. But it's really easy for me to transfer it to my program on my iPad, and then I mark yeah. with the with the right. Next okay. time, I will send an attachment. Okay. Um, I really appreciate the conversation, everyone, and uh, appreciate you uh, taking the chance to send in a little work and and doing writing. I, I'm I'm a believer in uh, our need to have these stories, so. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks a lot. Thanks Thank a lot. Bye.